All right, classic song playing right now, right? You know it, everybody knows this song. I thought it would be really interesting to talk to the guy behind this song. So in honor of Halloween, I reached out to this week's guest, Gerard McMahon. He's the guy behind Cry Little Sister, this song from the classic 80s movie, The Lost Boys soundtrack. So I don't know what else you know about Gerard McMahon. He actually goes by G. Tom Mack now. He has done a ton of, well, he's done a ton of his own solo work, but he's also had a ton of songs in movies and television. And that's primarily been the bulk of his career. I mean, I saw his name pop up on the Fast Times of Ridgemont High soundtrack. And then I got especially curious when I saw that he wrote one of the best Kiss songs. And I just thought, I really got to get to know this guy. So I thought it would be really interesting to tell you the story behind Gerard McMahon. He is a profoundly interesting guy. He's been around for like 40 years. Discovering his music and his deeper catalog has been amazing. There's tons of good stuff in there. So I hope you like this conversation. I really liked it. I'm really happy about this one. He called me from his home in LA. You know, I didn't pay much attention to Cry Little Sister when it was sort of, you know, I had done at that point probably 42. I songs featured in 42 movies and wow. you know nothing that really and I was kind of like a critic's darling under the name Gerard McMahon when I was making my albums back at that point it, I never had that sort of definitive one hit wonder or right. it would have been, been grateful to have the, have the U2 run if you will or whatever Sure, but it sure. just never sort you know things just circumstances you know beyond any artist's control you know these things just happen but I never felt slighted. I mean, I've had a really good career in the sense that yeah. I've written songs for many other famous artists and produced other artists and also going out and doing my own stuff in the film and stuff. I just figured it out you know, along the way. Yeah. And, but fans now, I mean, because of Cry Little Sister, you're right. I mean, it's one of those songs that basically got under millions of people's skin, you know. That's and it. That's a perfect way to say it. Yep. And, you know... I loved when I wrote it. I thought it was a bit adventurous and most of the music I you know, I, I tried to always stretch as much as I can and and I didn't even think it would ever make it in the film. I mean Joel had Schumacher, oh, wow. the director, had asked me to do it and he was just lured by it and, and, uh -huh. and the rest is history. But I didn't know it would go on to have the magnitude and the fandom that right. I have now behind it. And, you know, yeah. on the record on that album I was still an artist at Gerard McMahon. But when I would go out on the road and do interviews, people never could pronounce my bloody name properly. And around 2000, I was getting a lot of heat with television shows like Scrubs and Felicity. And uh -huh. I mean, umpteen amounts of TV shows when I was signed to DreamWorks. I said, okay, I should make another album. And I did. And one of the name G. Tom Max, or uh, Thomas McMahon. And people didn't know who that was. <laughs> but I made it my business to put Cry Little Sister, a remix version on it. Last fire.
by little, people figured it out. And then it just became more and more of a build. I started going touring again yeah. and doing a series of just you paying more attention to my own career, looking sort of, you know, like, well, this is what I really do. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, not the only thing I do, but it's it was certainly the thing I started off doing, and sure. it's the one thing um, I wanted to continue to do. Yeah. I find it interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, since we've, uh, you know, arranged to talk. And I remember very distinctly seeing that movie in the theater in, what was that, 1987? I think I was yep. probably 14 mm-hmm. years old. I saw it at the mall, and as soon as it was over, I went directly to Musicland and bought the soundtrack on tape. I mean, it's probably Lost Boys soundtrack, every song on there is a winner, and so it's probably in my top five favorite song soundtracks of all time. But what I've been thinking about is that that particular song is, I would say, by far the most enduring of any song on that soundtrack, as good as every other track was, and yet it was never a single. I don't believe, no. right? I've never heard it on the radio no, well, or anything like that. It was never a single, and they thought about doing it, but the Atlantic said, you know, it just doesn't, we can't get this on radio. It's too different. It doesn't sound like everything else. You know, at that point, you had, you know, Motley Cruz and a lot of hair bands on the radio, Bon Jovi, et cetera. I mean, yeah. NXS was kicking ass at that point, and they, I think they did release the NXS track as a single. They did. Good time. Yeah, that was and, I think they tried with the Lou Graham thing, but it didn't work. Yep. And nothing really popped out as a single. And Joel Schumacher kept saying to Atlantic, you've got to release it. You should get behind this. And they couldn't yeah. get the pump behind it. So they didn't even release it. They just they wow. tested it with their marketing people at the label. And they said, great song, but I don't think it'll ever catch on. Well, in wow. England, it got so much play. It went to number 14 without any promotion. People really? just started demanding it. Yeah. Oh, great. That was 88, something like that, when the film had come out. But I really didn't pay attention too much to it at that point. I was kind of just, you know, in that 87, 86, 87, 88 period, I was, you know, pretty much not, I'd been on the road so much and all of that stuff that you do as an artist for promoting your record. And I just kind of went into the world of just writing songs for other people Mm -hmm. and staying on top of doing soundtracks and, you know, doing more movies and things like that. And occasionally go out and do gigs. But I just sort of like, you know, I just kind of had it been beating myself up on the road. And I I enjoy it. I mean, I love, you know, but I just sort of chose my battle, if you will. Yeah, you did. Well, and I find that so interesting. I was unaware until recently. I've been listening to it basically nonstop on Spotify. This, It's the perfect compilation of your work because... All of the songs you've had in movies, every I mean, I had no idea, but you got, first of all, you, ma- you managed to hit like all the great 
teenage nudie movies of the 80s, like Hard Bodies and Spring Break. But then you're also yeah. in the classics like Fast Times. Sometimes you're miles away, baby. Every change, baby. the All the Right Moves soundtrack, but that song, Mr. Popularity, is labeled as being somebody else. Did you write it yeah. and not perform it, or did I, you perform it I, on there I as wrote well? it, and I, you know, the crazy thing was, I wrote that song, and i tell you how it happened. It was, um, they had put, they had what's called tempt in, you know, a temp track, meaning like, uh-huh. this is what they do in movies. They put songs in there that they may not use, but they want to give you an idea as to what they were looking for. And they had tempt in Prince's Little Red Corvette. Oh, really? And the director was so locked into that track and uh-huh. loved it so much, and it worked so great for the scene, and I could see why it did, you know. And they said, they came to me saying, can you come up with something that has a bit of that vibe? So I did, and that's where Miss Popularity came about. I sang the demo myself, and they all loved the demo. And I said, you know what? I've got this really cool black guy who mm-hmm. is in my camp. I think we should really put him on it. And I wanted to give oh, my nice. friend a break anyway. And so they were going like, oh, we love your version better, and this, that, and the other. Huh. And then and then finally, after I did the final mix and convinced them that you really want to, because I didn't think it sounded like me. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean yeah. I was, it sounded like, you know what it sounded like? It sounded like me imitating Prince. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, okay. You know, and I didn't want to go down uh-huh. like, oh, my God, he's imitating Prince now. And, what, you know, so I just, I really wanted to get an artist that had that vibe, and that's what I did. Uh-huh. I sang, I played everything on it. I played just, I played all the instruments. Oh, really? I sang Interesting. The back, I sang the backing vocal on it and everything, yeah. Yeah. So. It's fun. It's interesting. You mentioned not sounding like Prince. The thing that I find to be the overarching theme of the music of yours that I've been listening to is, and I had this word in my mind that you're a chameleon. And then I was watching that little clip on your website, and Roger Daltrey, of all people, who you appear to be friends with, says the same thing. 
Fridays waiting at the gates of heaven. The weekend starts at seven. We get 48 hours of fun. Five days working on the line for five days. Time to change the look on my face. I'm waiting for the start is done. I can pick out your singing voice in most of these songs, but you're all over the map. It's like you're, you are this chameleonic figure that you can just assert yourself. A, 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 I assume in most cases a movie maker or a TV show maker or whatever comes to you because they know that you can fit whatever little niche it is that they're looking to fill. Well, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing that's, talent, right? Well, thank you very much. I mean, you know, it, it all comes from me as a kid being in a cover band mimicking other artists. People would like be astounded, you know, that I could, you know, sound like Ray Davies at the Kings or sound like, you know, my friend Roger Daltrey or whatever. <laughs> and by the way, I ended up writing and producing a whole Roger Daltrey album. That, I mean, he basically I know. heard he heard my, my music and I just focused on making and writing an album that is him, you know. Yeah, what, yeah. I, I think a lot of the chameleon thing comes from it's just basically I love all kinds of music, and I just knew that I could, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, when I wrote the Kiss song, "Is That You?" I didn't write it for them. I was writing it for myself, but it just sounded too much like ACDC. who wanted to produce my then first album, said, would you mind if I played it for Kiss? Because they, we needed, we're desperately in need of a single on this album. And I'm going, well, yeah, they write their own stuff. That's not going to happen. Yeah, you know? yeah. And they did. They ended up recording it, and it became a single and did very well throughout the world. You know, And it was yeah. sort of a low period for them on the Unmasked album. But it came well, back. It brought them back. And, yeah, yeah. That was you actually never, when I... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... No, so I'm just saying, okay. again, it was just one of those things that I passed on it for myself. And, it, and, it, and there were a few people saying, you're crazy to do that. You know, this is a quintessential uh-huh. single for you. Sure. But I didn't feel that it was really working with the rest of what I was doing on what was the really? Columbia Records Blue Rue album, you know? You know, I'm not the kind of guy that shoots my foot, myself in the foot. I just have to go by what I, my instincts are telling me. And I think yeah, that yeah. what that proved to me is that, yeah, I do have a chameleon-esque factor going on. It's maybe not the best thing to do as an artist, but it's an attribute to a songwriter, which I yeah. am. So, yeah. 
Okay. So it's a curse and a blessing at the same time, if you know what I'm Right. Saying. Yeah, I can imagine. I have a million questions about that, but let's hit on this kiss thing now that we're here, because that was when I really started to take notice of you. I, I had always, I mean, I've had, like I said, I had the Lost Boys soundtrack from the time I was 14, 13 years old. And a couple of years ago, I became obsessed with Kiss. And I went and bought every Kiss album. And up to that point, I mean, I knew who they were, but I had never really invested. So I buy every Kiss album, and I know that this is not the popular opinion among Kiss freaks. Unmasked is my favorite Kiss album. You'd be surprised and, how many people love that album. It's really? Great. And it's not, yeah, even Kiss fans, you know. They, yes. Now that they've gotten older, they go, what an underrated record. It's yes. Blah, 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 you know? Yes. I know that it's not, you know, what they were sounding like at the beginning, which was turning on a lot of young kids. But as a, right. in retrospect, as, as a grown man who's now going back, I love everything they did, but that's such a great power pop album. And when I saw your name in the credits, I thought, that's the Gerard McMahon that I know. What, where is the, This guy's doing a lot of stuff that I was not aware of. So you mentioned Vinnie Poncia is the one who brought that song to Kiss. I said you should check yeah. this out. Well, Benny was producing Kiss at the time. Yeah, and I, I, I yeah. And he became very interested in producing my album, and I liked him okay. a lot. But he wasn't yeah. the right guy to do it. Be that as it may, he was right. He was. They did. Yeah. You know, they were in trying to. They weren't writing like they were on the road and yeah. in a slump, and they weren't writing yeah. the stuff they had written when they were like on top of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. They started to again, you know, later on. Did you interact with them much? I mean, were you, did you play on it, or did you just write it for yourself? Well, Vinny liked I it, gave it to them, and that was it. I wish I kept the recording of Gene and Paul calling me and leaving on my uh-huh. machine. <laughs> it's playing in the background, and Paul saying, hi, Gerard, this is Paul, because nobody was calling me G back then. But, uh-huh. but Paul, uh-huh. this is Paul Stanley. I can't thank you enough for this incredible song. I hope you'll and he quote, I remember him saying, I hope you like what we did, too, that we did it justice for you. And then Gene says, this is a solid piece of music, man. It's just so great. Looking forward to meeting you and all that stuff. So I've gotten to know this wow. guy. Paul, I, okay. I, go out, I mean, Paul lives up the road for me here in Santa really? Monica. So, so I, I, we go out in a coffee sometimes and just, you know, he's the nicest bloke in the world. I mean, he's so, yeah. he and Gene are like, and I like Gene. Gene's a piece of work, but he's great. Uh-huh. He's a good, he's a uh-huh. good guy. Sure, but sure. Paul he sort of leans into my, you know, he's very sensitive and he's very, you know, he's just a, a uh-huh. really good soul, you know, and yeah, um, yeah. I've always gotten on well with him. Good. Wow, that's so interesting. And so, but they didn't know who you were when that song was no. given to them. I had no real hits to speak of at that point. I was just, uh-huh. I just gotten my first record deal, like I mentioned, with Columbia Records and yeah. all things. That happened, and I right before that, I had done this movie for Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer called Defiance. Tell him your secrets, pull the shade, you clean his flaws and watch him bleed. He may be rich, but he ain't got no guarantees. It's bread and butter and a box to keep you warm. Come here, my sister, tell the man just where you've gone, you say. Straight, I'll make it clear I'll play all night for a ten spot and a beer Sleep with the hundred, face myself out on the square 
vacant opportunity I've been knocking and you been knocking We've all been knocking the blues Ring knocker goes I rationalized this mastermind It's scam And forgotten what I was or who I am What sacred lost its meaning long ago And there are times I miss humanity There are times Well, not counting Gerard. Yeah, I was going to say there was Gerard, and there was yeah. You have a history in Colorado, which uh, I I want to get to that in a minute. And I tell you, I ended up. You want me to tell you how I ended up in Colorado? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, if it's I read it on Wikipedia, but yeah, tell me the story. Yeah. Long story short, my I'll get the um, (laughs) my girl my girlfriend in New York had gone was going to Colorado University, right? So Uh basically. I went out there and I was playing in my band. I wanted to be with her. And so mm-hmm. I ended up playing around the state of Colorado with my band who we were doing my material. And people were, we, got, we garnered this really cool audience. My band was pretty much, I was sort of really into glam stuff at that point and, you know, oh. Bowie and, uh, you know, T Rex and, of you know, course. all that stuff. And, um, yeah. and so. This guy, James William Garcia, who was a producer of the group Chicago and a bunch of other things mm-hmm. that he had done, he had his Caribou Ranch, which you're probably familiar with if you live in that Colorado area, right? You know that? Yes. So, I've heard of it, yeah. Uh, he was a legendary studio in the 70s and, and into the 80s. So he he basically, you know, I'm like, what, 17, 18? Uh-huh. And he basically sees me perform at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. Is that correct? Is that the CSU, right? It's in Fort uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So did a concert there, and he was there to see another act, actually, because I think Columbia Records had brought him out down to see. And then he heard me, and he literally a week later, you know, I was, you know, I went up to his ranch, and um, Elton John was there recording. Um, what? He was at the ranch album. while you were there? Yeah. I mean, I'm oh, my gosh. There's Elton John. and like Elton You John must have been freaking out as a teenager. Well, he just recorded an album called Caribou, which was recorded. Yeah, sure. And, um, oh, okay. It was a little bit, okay. This was after it. He was doing The Dirt Cowboy or whatever that mm-hmm. album was, mm-hmm. you know, that had yeah. Someone Saved My Life Tonight and a bunch of other hits. Yep. So, anyway, I signed with James William Garcia. It started off all right, but then he wanted me to take away all what I was, you know, it was almost like, I love what you're doing, but I got to change it, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and well, then, he wanted yeah, me to sound like Chicago that. or something, you know, and I'm going like, this is not me. So yeah. there was a lot of butting heads, and it was just not probably not the greatest experience because that record did come out on Calgary Records slash CB, uh, Columbia or Epic or whatever. And it was, you know, the general consensus was this band sounds nothing like their album. They're great live, uh-huh. but they don't, you know. So that was sort of that. And, I, and, and and after that point, I picked up and moved to Los Angeles because I was just basically, I just I just couldn't 
keep doing yeah. what I can. So shortly Oh, sorry. Uh, were the the band in, the Colorado band that was Gerard, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. I and gotta say, I had never heard of that. And Operator is on YouTube, and I listened to it today. <laughs> I loved it, and it, really? and it just I loved it. I really did, and I thought wow. I got to get my. I don't know how to find. I, don't get me wrong. I've loved and been fascinated by pretty much everything I've heard that you do, but I really like that in like an older '70s kind of funkier. Yeah, vibe. it was pretty much of that time. I wish to two things. I, I you know, it's funny because I I hadn't heard that song in about. 25 years and I and I actually put the album on one time and I said well it's a pretty good song so it's too bad it uh-huh. wasn't produced the way it could yeah. have been you know yeah it's nothing um, like the rest of your stuff but it's fun no. for what it is yeah yeah and so and Hello Operator became somewhat of a um, not somewhat it became a single I mean it was a familiar song when I went on the road and toured all like crazy that year and all that stuff it's hard to love something when you know it didn't mm-hmm. come out the way yeah, you I can imagine. really thought, sure. you know? I mean, yeah. if Hello Operator had this sensibility of Elton John's Benny and the Jets, mm-hmm. I would have been a happy guy. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. But it yeah. didn't have that production value, you know? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. Now, can you buy, I mean, that Gerard album, where in the world is that? I mean, it's probably only available in, like, limited vinyl from back in the day you'd have to find it in a oh, thrift yeah. store on ebay or something like that right yeah i've ignored that whole part of my career perfectly yeah, because huh. it's sort of like it doesn't rep you know i mean yeah in today's age you can't really ignore anything it's basically yeah. people yeah, finding yeah, those, that you and people yeah. are, i mean people have showed me i found this record in a in a, in a vinyl store or mm-hmm. i got it on ebay like you said and people have and I, they said hard to believe that's you or this that yeah you know, you're the guy you know but, you know, listen, it's hard to believe I was in diapers at one time, too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true, yeah. So I've been listening to what I can find online. Your early solo albums are kind of difficult to find. I found Foreign Papers on Spotify. Listen to that. There's Blue Rue. There's No Looking Back. Where would you have gone artistically? And I ask that because, you know, your solo albums are fully owned by you. You're the one making those decisions. You're the one writing those songs. They reflect you and where you are. But so much of what you're known for, and I would guess what has sustained your career and allowed you to pay the bills for 40 years, is yeah. basically working for other people. You know, Someone coming to you saying, we have an idea for a movie, can you write something? 
how do you reconcile that in your mind? Are you happy that you get to be hired like that as a sort of a hired gun and respected in that way? Or do you ever feel like you're sort of conflicted about it not being maybe your truest or purest artistic vision? Did that make any sense? I hope that it did. No, Charlie, it's a great question. And, you know, the, the big answer, to the, the, the right answer to that, and it's the honest answer, is everything I do is challenging to me. It's not like, okay, okay well, i got to do this to, pay, you know, to, to please this guy or something. I don't mm-hmm. go into something. And, by the way, I turn things down. If I don't uh-huh. feel right about something, I go, that's not for, I'm not going to do it, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. artistically got to excite me. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff with television, I don't ever want to make it sound easy, but that's basically a lot of stuff. I mean, there are times I'm writing something for a TV, writing for a particular, you know, TV show, but a lot of it, they license my songs. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, the, like what example? I mentioned Scrubs earlier. Yeah. The, producer was a huge fan of mine and he heard my song half off the g tom mac album that came out in 2000 and he and his wife who's in the show who was in the show as well crystal lawrence and uh-huh. they played that album to no end and they oh, really they, and they featured my song half as the closing out the season in season four i think it was happened as a result of that was the you sort of the advent of uh, iTunes had just basically broken and at that point mm-hmm. this is 2005 2005 I guess but anyway we sold 122 downloads in the course of like five days which was a lot of downloads to sell yeah and it continued to, and it continued to sell just by being on the, just in America alone and then they put the song on the DVD and so and we shot a video for the DVD, and it became nice. like, you know, people, you so, you know, what can I complain about when things sure. like that happen as a result yeah. of doing, because that helps my career, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I play that song live now, and people, you know, interesting thing is, is that people go, oh, my God, you wrote that? I I, I know that song from Scrubs yeah. or whatever, you know? Right, right. So, you know, it's not the career that, like, I mean, listen, you you can't, choose your audience basically mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i just did things that a excited me b mm-hmm. i can do this and and yes i make good royalties off of it and mm-hmm. and license fees and what have you so mm-hmm. but you can't i never started doing this stuff for the money i really mm-hmm. did it because this is what i love to do and it's just unfortunate that i get paid to do it you know and yeah. and, and you know there was a period of time you've got to remember 
record labels could have sneered at TV and all that stuff. But now, yeah, they, I right. mean, what they won't give to have something of what I've got. You know what oh, I mean? Absolutely. It, yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, and you'd be surprised how much music gets attention by somebody just going, what is that piece of music playing sure. in, you know, New yeah. Girl or whatever? And they go yeah. online and they, they go on to the site, the site, you know, yeah. the New Girl site or whatever. And you can see now who did that song, you know? Totally. And that's you, that's so. like the new radio. I mean, you're not, well, I mean, yeah. no offense to you, Gerard, but you're not getting played on the radio. A lot of, most bands aren't getting played on the radio. So if you can get something heard in a commercial, I mean, this was, you know, this was the punk aesthetic of the yeah. 70s, 80s, and most of the 90s would never have allowed for that. And now everyone knows that's the only way to go, right? Yeah, well, or maybe about, the best way to get, go. If I, it's to one way. I mean, it's, it's yeah. uh, to be really honest with you, it's highly competitive now. And oh, I can thank imagine. God, I built a good relationship with a lot of you know producers and directors and you know the likes of music editors and people know they go, let's tap into his stuff because he, he mm-hmm. he's pretty much because they see a chameleon catalog there and they can sure. draw from stuff. So well, you have a huge that, track record. Well, that helps, but it's still, yeah. to be honest with you, it's still competitive. It's not yeah. like what it used to be. It's good, but record labels are making deals with TV shows. And, and to be honest with you, I'm good. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. it's, uh, I mean, at least last week or two weeks ago, my song, I had two songs in the series, Halt and Catch Fire. Just, um, yeah, TV show. you did? Yeah, it closed. It closed out the, the finale of season two, I guess it was, and they opened up with one of my songs, and they closed with one of my songs. No so, way! Yeah, I gave up on cool. that show, so I didn't know that. Good for you. Yeah. yeah, so that I mean, it's always a lot of times to be really honest with you, John. I don't really, I like go. Oh, my song was five times in Ellen last week. You yeah, know? I mean, they're going away for a commercial. <laughs> I, I don't even pay attention to it because I don't watch bloody TV that. That's much, amazing. You know? Well, and, um, and that's, I mean, I think, I mean, let's be honest, that's a sign of your success. If you're not somebody who's paying attention to every little time your song gets played and you get paid for it, then that means you've achieved a level of success where that stuff is kind of flying around all the time around you and you made the art, you threw it out there, and now the world is picking up on it whenever they pick up on it. That's that's pretty amazing. I don't. I bet most people who only know that Cry Little Sister song would have any idea that you have this wide-ranging career that touches on so many different aspects of the entertainment industry. Well, you know, going and doing a lot of interviews over the last, whatever, 10 years that I've sort of reinvented and resurfaced as an artist, the great thing I've been able to do is go out and perform at these conventions, these sort of Mm Comic-Con conventions, Uh which has thousands upon thousands of people there, and they have... I gen all of every gig I every time I go to do signings and that kind of stuff because of Lost Boys, I do a performance that night at the venue, and mm-hmm. it's generally two thousand people there. And I always tell stories about and you know I'll play songs from a TV show or play songs that or play is that you that kissed it, and mm-hmm. there are there are many that are surprised you wrote that you know, and then mm-hmm. then there are a lot now more and more and more they they're well they're aware. That I mm-hmm. that yeah I have songs and TV shows and then, I mean people go on my website and they just they they see on the about page yeah. you know 
everything from Eminem recording, you know, okay. th- that I did a few years ago to this one and that one, you know? Yeah. And they see that I'm sort of all over the map with it, but they know yeah. also that that all of this stuff is kind of, you know, yeah, a, a career, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I don't think they um, understand it like you understand it because, you know, there's not, not everybody well, has that mentality. Right. I know. That's kind of why I wanted to start this podcast to sort of shed light on those amazing artists that you just maybe didn't know were out there doing things. And hopefully they're doing things that you even recognize and you like. And you're like, I had no idea this was the same guy. You know, I love that song. I should go find out what else is Gerard McMahon is doing. And especially someone like you who's still out there now. I mean, I've been listening to your new albums. They're good and fresh. And I mean, I don't, I'll be bold. I'm assuming you're in your 60s somewhere. Your music now sounds something like what some guy in, the, in his 60s is producing. But it's just as fresh as anything else, you know? Well, I'm a little younger than that, but 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 I'm in there. <laughs> You're younger than that. Okay, well, good. A little bit, but um, okay, okay. But I mean, I take care of myself. I mean, good, a lot of times, people, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't. You certainly don't look I, it. I was just doing the math, so yeah, okay. uh, it's just yeah, of course. It's and by the way, everybody does the math these days. But yeah, I'm very just, true. You know, I work out five days a week. I take care of myself, but I do good it for you. Me- just a mentality of whether the so there's so much that goes on. And, mm-hmm. I, and it's important to me. I, you know, like Steven Tyler says, I don't care how fucking good you sing. If you don't look good when you're doing it, it doesn't mm-hmm. work. Maybe there's a little bit of that being over the top, but I get what he's saying. I think mm-hmm. that there's something about appearance and and your vibe, and if you're sure. doing it, you need to sort of give the, you know, do mm-hmm. it because that's what's really you. Don't do it because yeah. you think you got to do it. But, I mean, and by yeah. the way, if the guy gets up there and he's kicking ass and the, you know the sort of you know the the old cronies that de- let themselves go, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's okay, you know. Some sure. of course, sure. Stills, Nash, and Young. They look they they grew yeah. into being sort of heavy and all what they are. But right. it's not sort of like what I would want to do. I think. Yeah. And I, and by, and by the way, my music is not that music too. You can kind of grow sure. old and do exactly. that music, and it yep. works, right? <laughs> yeah. You got a whole different but, style um, going on. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's just sort of, and, it's been, and our live band, well, my, my, lab, my live band is amazing. This is what we've done. We're now going down this road of like, okay, what's the next step here? And the next step is to do this. Put an affiliation with AEG Live just recently. Mm-hmm. So okay. we've just been figuring out how to make the brand work properly. Yeah. So the way to do it is to go out and do a 35 to 40 minute set and then screen Lost Boys right after we play. Oh, wow. And I do a cover of People Are Strange. And I really? Do that are, awesome. And I do, which came, came out great and comes up, people go nuts for And, of course, yeah. I do Cry Little Sister. But then I do Is That You, a Kiss, a Kiss mm-hmm. did. And I do things that, and the set is really kind of based around, you know, I'm not going to do other Lost Boys soundtrack right. songs because it's right. silly to do that. But it feels right. It's, we do yeah. a couple of other covers. You know, we do the Love and Rockets, um, So Alive.
really? You'd be yeah, good at so, that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, so yeah. it's like a good concoction of original songs and a few covers thrown in for people yeah. who, you know, it's funny because when we do so live, people think, I wrote it. I have to tell them, <laughs> no, 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 I did not write no. that. No, no, no. Um, oh, that's great. Well, and it enhances the experience, right? I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it's like one of those, you know, speaking of Kiss, I saw them last year with uh, Def Leppard. So it's two, mm. it's two bands conjoining for, because the synergy makes both more money and more power and brings in more people, draws Absolutely. a bigger audience, you know what I'm saying? So in this case, yeah. you're sort of conjoining yourself with Lost Boys, which thankfully for you is still a beloved, it's not, I wouldn't even call it a cult hit. I mean, cult hit implies like not that many people saw it in the first place. I think I it's call a it pretty super, big hit. I call it's it, an enduring, what were you going to say? I call it super cult. So yeah, yeah. But it, but but what I think we both agree on is Lost Boys is a classic, you know, a classic film, not just a classic yeah. horror film. It was no, from exactly. beginning to end. It, that movie yeah. is seamless, yeah. just absolutely seamless. And I, I when I read that script because I, it was the very first, the only time that I'd ever gotten a script because they were filming the movie and Joel Schumacher, who was a fan of mine. Mm-hmm. Asked me if I'd come up with a theme song for the film. <clears throat> Generally, I used to get to watch the film and get the vibe, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I wrote it by reading the script. He sent me the script, and I always say I don't know if I would have written quite a sister if I would have seen the film. Oh, I think see, it isn't that interesting? It would have tainted my sort yeah. of way in which I perceived it because the script yeah. had something to it. When I write music, and I'm inspired by, I can be inspired by a book, but a piece of my mm-hmm. life is always in there. I don't know yeah. how much of my life would have went into a song if I was writ- right, ha- had watched the film. I just don't yeah. think it would have been that song, you know. Right, right. But so anyway, so, but yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, I'm just saying that that's sort of how, yeah, and you know, and I don't know how, how we, we got to this place, but that's sort of the story about okay. how that song was written for that film. Well, that's <laughs> great. And some of, one of the things that's a focus for this podcast is, like I mentioned, how people maintain careers. And by that, I mean, really, how do they pay their bills? Now, you're in a unique situation because a lot of the people that I talk to, maybe they had a hit like 30 years ago. Some of them have gone on to do other things. They're not in music anymore. Some of them are sidemen or they've changed directions completely because that's what you have to do to pay your bills and sustain a career, Right. Um, of course, yeah. You, you on the other hand, have – this is my impression, that you made decent money as the hired hand for writing these songs and giving – And well, first of all, you probably made a lot of money off KISS. And then – and you don't have to – I know this is, this is a sensitive topic. You can be as specific or as vague as you want. I don't mean to be offensive if I am. I'm just – this is what I think people are curious about, is how, how people we perceive to be rock stars, what their real life is like you know, and how they live. Yeah, right. You had, at least for a good 20, 30 years there, 80s, 90s, were supplying so many songs to popular films and having people like Carly Simon or Kiss or Roger Daltrey or whatever. Or Chicago perform- too, which was totally they, That's too. right, that's right. You wrote half their Chicago 21 album. Never did let go of what we were Can't pretend I'll live without you 
So here are big names. Did I? I think it was I've, 21. I remember writing quite a few. I mean, they were big fans of, you know, my music. And I, Robert Lamb, especially, who's most yeah. eclectic of, of all of them. It's interesting how people want to have a bit of the edge, so to speak, in their music uh-huh. and have the pop thing. And that's sort of what I was trying to supply in that situation. But it didn't, you know, they were great guys, you know. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a great, it was another thing like, okay, go in there and write some stuff. They still sell records and, mm-hmm. you know, and I like, and I just thought, again, challenged myself. I don't know if I'd do it again, you know, but it was mm-hmm. just something of a challenge. Can I do that? Can I write for this band that I, you know, that yeah. sort of been a, you know, horn band poppy and and I and and of course I could, you know. So to answer that point, all of these things created income and yeah. you know royalties and all of that stuff. So thank God for that stuff, you know. Yeah. And 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 thank God that it was like with um, big name artists, you know. Yeah, right. If you did, and this might be too direct of a question, but let's say you did nothing else for the rest of your life. You didn't do the Lost Boys shows. You didn't put out new albums. Could you live comfortably off just royalties from Kiss, Carly Simon, Chicago, Roger Daltrey, whoever else? I mean, was it successful enough that you could just sustain yourself for the rest of your life? Well, you know, one has to change your lifestyle if you're going to do that. <laughs> okay. I'm not, okay. Well, that's good to know. A, I don't have an extravagant lifestyle because I choose not to. But I mean, uh-huh. but yeah, I own a house. I own a, a you know um a building and that um houses my recording studio and okay you know and it's rather large and i mean you know these are things that you make it one should always make i always say listen you don't know businesses can fail they can be successful and then they can fail and if you know anything about the record business and the music business in general mm-hmm. it's you know it's had a, a serious decline over the last you know 10 years yeah, and so course. if there's so many components to that question. I, first of all, love what I do. So I'm not going to ever talk, you know, if something mm-hmm. happened that I couldn't do this, and it was, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be okay, you know. Okay, um, okay. But I don't, but you know, where you have, there's no crystal ball because it could, you know, sure. the way royalties go now and you kind of, mm-hmm. we're all in a world of like Spotify yeah. and digital platforms where we make far less money off that. Mm-hmm. They are not iTunes. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a lot of um, controversy with the performance rights societies about Spotify and the record companies. How how do we maintain everybody's income? Not just Mm -hmm. mine, everybody that are are songwriters and are artists. It's hard. It's harder and harder. It would be very difficult to be starting out in this business as a business now. When I started, it was very lucrative, very lucrative. Mm -hmm. I really believe that that uh, first of all, just I don't ever disclose how much money I make or whatever. Of course, but of course. it's it, but it, but you know I've done all yeah. right. You know you did and, all right. Um, okay, that's good. I mean, you can ask Roger Daltrey the same question. You know, yeah. I mean, he didn't write any of the songs, but he's you know it's a lifestyle. You maintain yeah. a certain lifestyle. You got family. You do that. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, listen, I'm the kind of guy that I know where I came from. I could easily mm-hmm. go back to it. You know, we were a, a modest English-Irish family that, you know, working class, and mm-hmm. um, my dad, you know, parents did what they could to make yeah. ends meet. And yeah. so, you know, coming into this world and in the world of music and when I did was, you know, wow, I can help my parents, I can do this, sure. I can, you know, make life better for other people. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I've yeah. Well, definitely. With, with, definitely. With the money I've made, you know? Yeah. 
All right, good for you. Okay, tell me what G now is G Tom Mac. Is that a band? Is that what you call yourself now? Is it a little bit of both, kind of like an Alice Cooper thing? First of all, I don't know what's so difficult about Gerard McMahon. America already had Ed McMahon. It's not like we're uh, oblivious to the word McMahon or how I know. to pronounce it. So I don't understand why that would have been so difficult for most people, but apparently I don't it, was. Think it was. I don't think it was ever one interview I did, ever, and there were a lot of them, that they didn't pronounce my name Gerald McMahon or McMahon. What? Yeah. Oh, and I'm my. going like, and I, 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 and by the way, I answered the same question too, but it was just so new to them, and it's just like if if, we, if it would have been pounded into them like John Mellencamp, okay? Yeah, right, because right. Because when yeah, John Mellencamp changed his name, it was the reason because nobody's going to, you know, his manager made that decision to change to Johnny Cougar because mm-hmm. nobody's going to be able to pronounce your last name. In mm-hmm. in retrospect, I could see why that would be the case. And at sure. one point, I actually went from McMahon, M-C-M-A-H-O-N, to M-C-M-A-N-N, which appears yeah. that way on the Lost Boys and yep. the Bond Papers album, because yep. I thought, well, let's make it easier for them. And they still fucked it up, you know? Yeah. So, yep. um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I yeah. didn't need to come down so hard. Oh, it's okay. Again. No, I know. This is why I asked you about it. But my full name is Gerard Thomas McMahon, so that's what G. Tom Mack stands yeah. for, Gerard G. Tom McMahon. So... At one point, Roger was always called, Daltrey was always calling me G. And I'm going, like, well, that's an easy way. He was the first one to start doing that. And I thought, well, okay, maybe just change it to G Tom Mac. That's easier. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, and sometimes people call me G or they'll call me G Tom. So it's interesting now when mm-hmm. that became, you know, I, I reinvented my name with, or mm-hmm. career with that in 2000. Mm-hmm. I, made, I put an album out which is probably one of my favorite albums I did, called G-Tom yeah. Mac, just that. Yeah, I was listening that was the to album it today. The long story short is that I just felt like I don't really care if nobody, if I got to start all over again. Mm. This, I'll I'll let them all, you know, I'll teach them. Interesting. And we have, you know, and I think it's much easier. It's so much easier when I go do radio interviews because even if they call me G-Tom, at least they're pronouncing it properly. Yeah, and you don't have right. to explain to somebody. But I did have, huh. I do have to explain, you know, why I changed my name sometimes right, and I right. give them the same answer I just gave you. Yeah, there's always a story, right? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wondered if, you know, in this day and age, we're so sensitive to branding, you know, which is not really a topic that would have come up 30, 40 years ago, but now that's all about the brand. And I wondered if changing the name, you know, midstream like that, if that halted or stifled your brand at all. But it, it sounds like maybe it sort of revived it. I mean, it's the same yeah, thing. I, I, you know what? I took you weren't a household name I, in the first place, so... Yeah, I wasn't a household name in the first place. It, nobody knew who Cry Little Sister was by. For the most part, before 2000, nobody, mm-hmm. people go, if you looked on YouTube, in the advent of YouTube, you know right. what was on... And I, I had to make... So many people put their own little videos up, and they put mm-hmm. Sisters of Mercy. And I know why they did that, because when Kaza really? came out and um, when uh, the other Napster, yeah. on all of that, it said, cry little sister, sisters of mercy. It was assumed. Really? And, absolutely. Yes. And that's why. That and, happened. And that's I've the reason, seen that happen. Yeah. And that's why people did, and that's why that happened. Someone <laughs> mislabeled it somewhere, probably, you know, Agent Zero or whatever, like Patient Zero, and then yeah, people are stealing and copying from that and it never gets fixed. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it kind of ruined my career. I mean, and in, at one point, uh, it didn't ruin my career. It was basically, I said, well, 
this is good. We chased down all of them. At that point, in the new in the early days of YouTube was I think 2006 or seven. Mm-hmm. It was so minor, but yeah. we we started doing, and people didn't believe it was me. And I'm going, you know, and then we, I right. said, well, listen, if you don't believe me, I will have authorities come and take this down. You know, <laughs> I did I did it in a nice way when people, but sure. most people were just very cooperative and just said, oh my God, you really called me. I love this song. I didn't know that was you, and blah blah blah. So. A lot was learned during that process of like, mm-hmm. okay, they, um, I've got to really educate people as to who wrote the song. And, right. you know, Crying Little Sister, there's, well, I've, I've gone out and done shows, and people have never even seen the movie Lost Boys, but they know the song. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's one of those that's kind of endured right that way, just pops up places, people know it. It's absolutely. And I, in a lot of ways, I'm glad it never was a bona fide hit song because mm-hmm. I'm not a one hit wonder to be honest with you yeah no and you're not I remember somebody saying that were you kind of a, you, are you a one hit wonder and I said no it wasn't a fucking hit <laughs> <laughs> it is your calling card though how do you feel about that I mean maybe it's not I don't know I'm I'm an outsider you might feel tell great me about that, it. is that you is a much bigger draw than but I would think most people would know you that so you're okay with that you're this is kind of the leading this is the trojan horse if you will of your career cry little sister you know what the door. i would i would much rather have cry little sister being the thing i'm known for as an artist as opposed to is that you is that you is a good song i'm not proud of it but mm-hmm. you know it's basically about picking a girl up in a bar yeah, yeah. And true. she turns out to be a you know this all-around naughty girl beyond naughty <laughs> and um, uh-huh. you know I would have been okay with that, but Quiet Little Sister has a lot more depth to it. And yeah, it sure I'm glad does. I wrote it, and yeah. it has more depth to And it, it's indicative of much of what I'm about. And you mm-hmm. know, when I wrote that lyric, it was really basically me saying, okay, we're all looking vampires. The whole Lost Boys thing was about finding family, people that they identified mm-hmm. with, and that is you. And I wrote from my own perspective of that same thing. You know, wow. um, I mean, there's much more depth to how I wrote it and what, what was going on in my life at the time. Sure. But there's a lot, I mean, it wasn't just writing wow. a song for a movie. It was no. a lot of what I was feeling and yeah. the way I was feeling about where my environment at the time, living in New York City and all of that. So wow. it had a, a lot flash of genius, right? Hey, well, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> I'm not yeah. very fond of that word, but I, I'll take it. But it's oh, okay. a real, okay. I, as flattery, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a moment of inspiration that uh, has, you know, stood the test of time. Not every artist can say that, especially not artists from the 80s. Even though I grew up in the 80s, I love that music. It means the world to me, but it has its critics, you know, and that song is unbeatable. It No, it doesn't age. It doesn't sound dated. It it just, it's fresh no matter where you plug it in. It's unlike anything people have heard. And it sticks with you. I mean, that's a bit of inf- inspiration, if you ask me. Yeah, thank you. And it, it, the interesting thing was, I remember running into an A and R guy. You know what that is, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. It stands for artist and repertoire. And basically, these mm-hmm. are the guys who are making decisions as to they oversaw the project, what album, and they would be there to sort of soundboard the album, suggest maybe another song or reproduce, reproducing it, uh, uh, a song or. Or a number of things. And they were also in charge of making a decision if they're going to sign an artist. Mm-hmm. And I remember running into this A&R guy who was arrogant back in the day. 
he said, I remember when somebody played me Cry Little Sister, and I just thought, like, this is so out there. This could mm-hmm. never be a hit. And it can mm-hmm. never, he said, you know, why did they choose this song for the movie? And I said, uh, he's telling me this story. This is his thoughts. And then my daughter played it, was playing it in her bedroom over and over again. And he said, I know this song. I know he said, this is my favorite song, Daddy. It's so good. And I said, how old was she at the time? Twelve. I said, John, I don't create music for old farts like you anyway. So that was me. And the A&R department, they can all go right. fuck themselves. Because I was yeah, never making kidding. music for you guys. I was making music for your fucking daughter. That's right. That's right. Showed him, right? And, and uh, you said, you know, and he looked at me, and I, I was laughing. I was making a joke out of it. He said, you know what? My tail's between my legs. I would never have guessed. He said, but you said, there's been things that have gone on, but, you know, got to, uh, that, that, that I never would have called. You can't always be right. And I said, I know. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm not coming down on you. But I said, but that's really my truth, you know? I mean, yeah. If, uh, the problem with the record labels is they never, few of them took chances. And mm-hmm. the majority was copying something that was either a hairband. And who can blame them? That's how they were holding down their livelihood, you know? Sure, sure. Yep, yep. So I don't blame anybody. Just Good. get the story okay. straight. <laughs> well, yeah, and you've had a great career. So, I mean, it didn't, hey, didn't ding you at all. I didn't. Uh, you know what? Every, the late, every record that came out basically would sell, the first album sold 90,000 copies, which would have been very respectful in these days. Mm-hmm, um, the second album sold 63,000 copies, and then the third oh, wow. album being Born Papers sold 50,000 copies. It probably would have done better had it not come out during the time when the payola scam was being, mm-hmm. you know, the FBI was busting all of yeah. this, you know, illegal whatever it was, or if it was, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there was always something that would happen with my career. and It wasn't like I was making bad records. It just mm-hmm. something wouldn't the the fashion of the music wasn't right or or, yeah. or I, would, I love this one. They're always the critics used to say, oh he, he and it used to come up so often. He's ahead of his time. I don't know what yeah, the fuck right. that means. Right. What, the, what about in time and yeah. you know, not ahead at all? It's just in right. time. I mean, just there's right. just no heads out there to get it. Yeah. yeah. Do I ever catch up? Do I ever get to catch up with being yeah, ahead of the exactly. time? Exactly. You know, yeah. can I ever just yeah, be, like, in the right stream? Yeah. Well put. Well put. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is great. I just have a couple more quick questions I want to ask you. First of all, tell me about yourself personally. I mean, you live in L.A. Are you married? Are you, do you have kids? Do you, what do you like to yeah, do? Yeah, I, I, you... I, I uh, was married for 16 years. I've been single for the last three years. It's, uh, okay. Was, and we have a 10-year-old son, Quinn, who's, you know, absolute love of my life, as everybody right. says about their children. But he's Good. great, and you know, and thank God, is like amicable with everything. I uh-huh. see it every day. I, t- I took him to school today for the first day of going back to school. Oh wow! And I see, I see him. You know, I, you know, I see him all every day. So it's not Good. like there's Good. like visitation rights. I mean, we've all we've worked it all out. And um, it, okay. um, And so yeah, I'm a sort of a, I'm a bachelor again. <laughs> uh huh. And occasionally I do some dating and. You know, okay. it, 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 you know, it's just a different world, you know, especially when you've been, uh, when you're with one person and devoted for in a relationship for, you know, those many years. Yeah. But, hey, I'm just happy to be doing and living and Good. still Good. able to do what I do. 
Yeah. These shows that you were talking about, you know, the the Lost Boy shows basically is what I'll call them. I don't know what you call them, but do you ever play those outside of L.A.? Or do you, is it mostly their local? Well, this is the first one. Well, I can't say that. I did, I, you, are you talking about performing and then the movie plays? So, yeah, or, yeah. Or, I mean, you yeah. and I have been connected on Facebook for a little bit now, and, and it looks like stuff like that. I don't know, maybe it's, it's all promoting the same show, but it looks like that stuff might happen with some regularity maybe. like We do, I yeah. I, go out, I probably do about 60 dates a year, and these are a lot of Comic-Con things, or there are oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, not 60 dates in a row, mind you. It's like, sure, sure. Do, like, for example, went out and did Albuquerque, did um, um, did Albuquerque, and then we did Dallas, and then came back. And then two weeks later, wow. we go to Indianapolis and go to Orlando, Florida, and then come back, you know? That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So, and is it um, always it, tied with Lost Boys? It's, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes there are corporate gigs that you just want to oh, have. Cool. They, okay. they know who I am, and I, I show yeah. up and do that. And but but a lot of it, you know, because of these conventions and they are built-in audience, and that's what we're trying to do. What we kind of the idea of doing it independently, where we showed a movie, mm-hmm. and um, this, by the way, this thing we're doing in Long Beach is being put on by a promoter that shows movies in different sort of settings where he creates a sort of event around it. You know, mm-hmm. um, so he did, he was doing Lost Boys. And he got in touch with me. He said, you know, could I get you to come and just talk, you know, about, you know, your song or and, you know, uh, and the movie? And I, yeah. and I said, well, how about if I came and played? And he said, are you kidding me? He said, how much would that cost me? And I said, we have to talk to somebody else about that. Yeah, so we right. worked it out. They announced it and they sold 2,000 more tickets what? as a result of it. You know, Great. so. Yeah, so we started. I had this conversation with, you know, AEG Live, and because we've been trying to figure out the branding angle and how to build to sort of bump it up. So we're going to do what we're set to do is to go out and do more of these around the country. I think you know, I want to do it. In, you know, we've never played Denver, and I, I know that there's a oh, solid man. audience there. You oh, know? I'd love it. I'd love it if you came here. Little by little now, we're, we're gearing towards next 2016 into the summer, spring and summer, to do and blow these dates up, like I was mentioning, much right. like we were doing in Long Beach. And yeah. this place is, you know, it's better towards the summer because, I mean, you can, it's either the summer going into fall or spring going into summer. summer. Summer going into fall is better because it's already got the atmosphere of Halloween coming on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I always find that Lost Boys gets a bigger a bit of a bump this time of year. I think sure, maybe it yeah. has a lot to do. I don't know why. I mean, it did come out this time of year back in the day in 87. Uh-huh. But I think it has a lot to do with it going into the Halloween season, you know? Probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah this would be prime time, right, to to uh, kind of capitalize or get out there and, you know, tie yourself to the movie because it's going to be shown a lot in the next couple of months. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that movie plays around the world like crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my all-time favorites. Okay, well, this is great. Before I let you go, I just want to ask, and you don't have to you don't have to share if you don't want to, but do you have an interesting – now, Philip Bailey gets, inter- gets you know, has a brief clip on that little documentary video that's on your website. Did you – I may have missed it. Have you worked with Earth, Wind, and Fire? I knew Philip before – I was signed to Columbia Records, and Maurice White – 
who has very under, who is the lead, obviously the founder of Earthman Fire. Crazy thing was is that I was playing. I knew Philip before Maurice came to a gig with Bob Cavallo, who and Joe Ruffalo, who managed Earthman and Fire, and they managed Prince. Mm-hmm. They had uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So he came to a gig when I got signed to Columbia Records, and he Maurice was just astounded and just said, my God, you know, I, he was so blown away by the show. This was back in the day, in the, in the early 80s, when I made the Blue Rue album. Mm. So it was because of Joe Ruffalo, Maurice, and uh, that Columbia, were like, they said, we want we want to manage him. And mm. that sort of kind of went, and, and so that's how that all happened. But I knew Philip, oddly enough, because he was from Denver. Yeah, he is. I was going to mention knew, that. Yeah. But we connected later, and... I ended up writing songs for him on his solo albums, and that's how we—that's really? how we really got to know each other. You know, he did about three or four. He did three or four of my songs around the Chinese Wall album that he made. Around you were on Chinese Wall. Wow, I don't think it was that's on that true. album, but I was on a couple of other, uh, a couple of okay. other records. Just in, you know, that were doing very well. I remember one of my songs was a single in Europe called "The Day Will Come," and that did really well. That album. Good for oh, I love that but, Rogers. But yeah, he's great. He's yeah. a great guy. He um, good. He, we threatened to work with each other many, many times. <laughs> Our, we have the same. We have the same lawyer. And oh, um, really? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, Lou Graham, Nile Rogers, and myself, and we're the only clients left that he kept. My lawyer. Really? And uh, yeah, it's crazy. And I met him through I met my lawyer through Lou Graham actually, who I who I was actually friends with way before Lost Boys. Lou really? was a big advocate. Yeah, Lou was a big advocate of mine. I mean, he was wow. When I was making my Foreign Papers album, yeah, you know, and Phillips actually does a duet with me on the Foreign Papers album on a song called Stuff It.
uh, oh, I'll have to re-listen. I was listening to it today, but on Spotify, so the credits aren't there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't know yeah, I know. The yeah. old thing, what a dying art that is, right? Oh, I know. I miss the. I still collect CDs. Um, in fact, this is an offhanded question. This compilation of yours, do, it, are there physical copies of that that I could buy? You know, people. God, I tell you, I get that answer. I get that question so much now. Are you really? Yeah, and I've got to do it, man. I've got to do it. Yeah. Well, I'll just I mean, buy probably, it. Maybe um, the 300th person that's asked me that. Maybe it's not that seriously? many, but 300 is a significant wow. amount of people to go like, hey, you know what? What's it no going to tell me to put to do, you know, a thousand vinyl? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Let's see where it goes, you know. If but you put yeah, that on CD, you know, I'd buy it. I'll buy it anyway, but I'd buy I'd love, well, I still like hard copies. I, yeah, I know. There's a love for that, and there's a generation in such as yourself and mine. I mean, I've learned to sort of like go with the flow of how all mm-hmm. things have gone, you know. You know, I don't get hung up on the past. That's not my yeah. thing. I like, I right. move towards the future. I move towards the now and try to keep. You do? I just enjoy being fresh, you know. About, I mean, you have yeah. to embrace new technology because it's not going away. And it's just, yeah, you can't I fight can it, you know. Yeah, but, uh, well, in yeah, your album, Untamed the Songs, proves that. I definitely, I beg your pardon? I said you're out, your latest out, Untamed the Songs, proves that you embrace technology. I feel the tremble of a world blacked out, still I can see a light so clear. Sometimes I feel I'm gonna lose my way, and then the optimist appears. in the raging hearts for all the times we never mend there is a voice in every one of us that lets me start to comprehend I mean like I was yeah. saying it's current and fresh and there's no hint that the guy who did this, you know, goes back 40 years. No way. You know, it's interesting about that album. I decided, to, and I called it Untamed Songs, even though there's a song called Untamed Songs. It has nothing to do with why I called it the album. Now. Mm, interesting. But I just felt, you know, it's a good title because it basically, I'm a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And that album is not probably the most, it almost shifts in sort of some direct, that you, sometimes you go like, Wow, that's so different from the other cat and this that you know. There's like mm-hmm. there's almost like a folk cut on the out that song. I can't remember mm-hmm. it now, but you know, I wrote it when I was 16. I thought, wow, I should I should actually uh, put that on my album. I uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about this song, and you know, it's just a it's sort of a you know vignettes of different pieces of you know my life, and it's just not doesn't all sound like one album, but it's but it's sort of what I wanted to do at that time. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Thank Um, you. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Okay, last question: What's the Eminem connection? And this, I might be—I'm proving my—I'm showing my uh, ignorance here because I'm not the biggest rap connoisseur. And so I don't—you won a Grammy for him. Did he sample you, or did you have something to do with what happened? What's the story there? Basically, they—he loved Cradle's sister. Okay, that's what um, I thought. So he. And he's a wonderful guy, by the way. He really is. And um, 
So oh, wait. They what they want to do now. Okay. It's called You're Never, it's You're Never Over. Yep. And it was probably to yep. him, he, he actually said, this is the most significant song on the album to me because it's about my mentor, Proof, yep. who yep. who died, you know. And yep. uh, and I thought, wow, this is very cool. And so we just, they wanted to uh, sample me yeah. using the chorus of Guy Sister. If only I wasn't traveling down this road by my lonely No one who knew me like you will ever know me I don't think you understand how much you meant to me The days are cold, living without you I do happen to be a fan of rap, not all of it, but things mm-hmm. that I, you know, I especially am a fan of his, and I have been from yeah. the beginning. And um, I've worked with Ice Cube. I did the Players Club with him, and yeah. that was a great experience, writing the wow. main song for that movie and wow. doing that. And um, there's a whole story behind that as well. I believe it. But, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, I was the only white guy. <laughs> 30, yeah. people, 30, 30 other people came up with songs. And the white guy got the gig. <laughs> I know. That's what you, you were saying, the Players Club. And they say it's all about the Benjamins. <laughs> the Benjamins came by your love, baby. What? Money buys the penthouse on the 14th floor. Money keeps your woman coming back for more. Money driving Lexus, money ain't got no wrong. Money speaks no evil, but my money talks. All that money making. But I'm like, what? You with the players? I can't. Yeah, I wrote the opening this. song over the opening credits of that movie. Crazy. Money can't buy the love. Yeah, I know. It's pretty mad. You're but everywhere. Anyway, hey, you know what? It's like you know what it's like, man. When you, it, 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 it's like being an actor. You know, it's like yeah, it is. Nobody tells Meryl Streep, well, wow, you played that part of that movie and you're doing mm-hmm. that one. You, you, you know, you sure if you have that in you. Why yeah. not? Why not be able to move around and not? And why does everybody have to be so confused about? I mean, yeah. I don't think because you know, they expect an artist to be one thing. I think that that's mm-hmm. what it is, you know. Yeah. And well, the, and, you, know, you know, not everybody has the freedom to be like you do, and it's probably well, honestly true. because you're not. No offense, you're not a bigger star. If you were, if you were you two or the Stones, they would expect you to always be you two or the Stones. I mean, the biggest yeah. bands I know of who are the biggest artists I know of that shapeshift maybe as often as you do are people like Elvis Costello or Joe Jackson. They tend to kind of follow every whim. But I think you do that even to a much more extreme degree than those two even do. 
and it's because you've you've had a this kind of medium level of success where you're respected for what you do, and it allows you the freedom to do whatever you want, but you're not pissing anybody off by doing that. You're not hurting anyone's bottom line by following no. your muse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. You're very good, yeah. by the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> good. You did a good. Conducted a good interview. Good interview. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much, man. I appreciate that. Well, look, I'll let you go. You gave me more than an hour. I'm so grateful for you. I, uh, I, I've been fascinated by who you are and what you do, and it has been so much fun researching you for this conversation because my mind is opening up to all these great bits of music that I want to know more about and uh, explore deeper. And I'm so happy that you're out there and you've had the level of success that you have because you're an incredible artist and it's great that you get recognized for that in the way that you get recognized. So I'm really happy for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right, there you have it, G. Tom Mack. I thought that guy was fascinating. And I can't stress this enough. That compilation that we talk about, it's digital only. So go on iTunes, type in G. Tom Mack, and a compilation album will pop up. It's like 28 songs, and it's virtually everything he's done that's been featured in a movie or television, plus some of his own solo work. It, and it's like $9.99 for 28 songs, and they're all amazing. I really highly recommend going and checking that out if you liked anything else that you heard during this podcast. Also, by the way, hopefully you found us on iTunes. Again, this has been an issue the last couple of weeks. We had to find a new hosting site for the podcast so if you're listening to this in itunes that's great that means you went in and you found it hopefully you're a subscriber if you're not listening to it on itunes please go in and subscribe to it you can listen to all of our back episodes you can listen to everything else coming out also you can send us an email at the at gmail.com you can find us on facebook on twitter we're at the hustle pod just stay in contact with us now next week we're finally finally getting a little bit of soul up in the hustle next week we talk to mike james kirkland he was a soul singer in the 70s put out a couple of albums so good really good stuff but just never quite broke through like marvin Gaye or sam cook or some of his other contemporaries did and so uh, i thought it'd be really interesting to talk to him he's a fascinating beautiful beautiful lovely man with a lot of really interesting things to say also huge thanks as always to yan makevich yan the man He's the guy that makes it happen. We're so grateful for him. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. We'll talk next week. Hey, 